Um, this is definitely a tree with opposite branching. Um, this tree also over here is the same tree. You might find opposite branching on there as well. If we look out to the ends of the branches and the silhouette that they make against the sky, um, this tree looks particularly like it's cracked the sky in a way. There are a lot of right angles, um, as opposed to an ash, for example, that has more flowing, rounded curves on it. This tree is more jagged and right angled. It also has tassels on the ends here that would have attached its seeds. Okay, and if you look up to the next branch, you will see you can see the remnants of some seeds. This tree has winged fruit that float and oh fall like this. Yes, helicopters, right? So this sycamore, we have it, thank you. It's a sycamore. Yeah, so now we can, now we can learn how this is recognizable as a sycamore, okay? So it has opposite bud growth. It has remnant seed tassels on it and also some remnants of seeds. The important thing about the sycamore though is the bark. If you look at this sycamore, it's got like a dragon's back scales. It's like peeling, large peeling um, areas of bark. This, this tree over here is, is, a, is a sycamore as well, but it does not have the peeling bark. So once the sycamore reaches a certain age, you know, this is a substantial tree and quite an age, but that is a lot older, right? And so once it reaches a certain age and girth, it will start to crack its bark. So the, the old sycamores look a lot different to the young sycamores. Um, sycamores are very, um, old sycamores like that uh, stand out like a sore thumb because they've got this pink flaky bark. Now earlier on um, we had a, a guess uh, that this was a London plane tree. Um, I can see why you're saying it's a London plane tree because they also have this pink flaky bark. Um, London plane tree is something different. Um, a London plane tree will have alternate bud growth they will not have winged seeds either. They'll have round seed pods like that hanging down. But interestingly, the Latin name for the sycamore is Acer. So Acer, same as all maples, Pseudoplatinus. So Acer, like a plane tree, <laughs> right? Platinus is the Latin name for plane tree. So this is an Acer like a plane tree for, for that reason. Yes, you can. Um, so with the bud pattern growth, the, the, with the opposite buds, you, if you can spot a tree with opposite bud patterning, um, there are very few trees that have that. It's ash and 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 maples mainly, um, especially trees that are that size. Um, so if it's not an ash, which we can tell easily by the fact that it hasn't got large black buds on the end, um, also the spidery patterns that it makes it's it, it's language against the sky to me it's writing in the sky to me is very distinctive um in in the sycamore and in all maples actually because it's got so many right angles and hanging things um yes okay so any questions <laughs> no all good L lovely all good So first of all, we look at the stature of the tree to see how, how large the tree is. This is a large tree. Secondly, we look at the bark. Uh, this, bark this bark on this tree is, is kind of gray and it's got slight fissures in it. Fissure, fissures um, are a word, is a word that a lot of people don't get. So people like to come up with their own name for this. Wrinkles or cracks or you know, whatever you want. Um, on the ash, they're, they're, they, they are prominent but they're not as quite deep as the oak 
okay with an oak you can pretty much come and put a coin in and the coin will stick but with the ash really you couldn't get a coin to stick in there very well uh, there's a grayness to the to the ash that may, you might not see on an oak but you can often um often oaks and ashes are mistaken especially the older ones for each other but you can overcome that mistake by looking at the bud pattern okay so the bud pattern on an ash is opposite so if we look look around at the end branches up here look at the silhouette that it's making against the sky we can see plenty of examples of opposite branching in there um are you getting that um the the tufty bits on the ends of this one are the ash flowers coming into flower now they're actually extending um, and starting to release their pollen um, some of the ash trees at the moment are a lot of the ash trees are coming into flower but some some are not yet extend extending their their buds so we've looked at the stature of the tree the bark and then the end um, the bud growth those three things should give you a positive identification of the tree further things that we further things that we can look at are things like the flowers on the ends we can look at out also on ash trees to see if they have tufty bits the seeds of an ash tree are like the helicopters on a sycamore but they're only one wing and they hang down like a bunch of keys so on and, and most and, and on some ash trees these are retained throughout the winter so that's another good giveaway for the ash Um, remaining tassels you see those very subtle yeah. that's where the keys would have hung on so that's where the, the the ash seeds would have hung on now ash seeds only are only produced on a by the female tree um, in tree reproduction you have a monoecious tree which will have um, both male and female flowers on the same tree like oak um, like most trees um, a dioecious tree is a tree that has a, a tree with female flowers and a tree with male flowers, for example the yew tree. Um, then ash can be classified as dioecious but also the ash tree has the ability to have a tree with both male and female parts. So this one, looking at it, there's tufts all over it so it's probably majority female but there may be a branch here or there that produces male flowers. Um, the male flowers then pollinate the female flowers, but possibly on another tree. I'm not sure if it can self-pollinate. Um, but further to that, the ash tree can also produce a flower that is a hermaphrodite. So it will produce a flower that has male and female parts together on the same flower. And for this reason, it's a hard tree to categorise, and some people like to call it a trioecious tree. Trioecious tree. Um, so yeah, monoecious is the standard, it's like oak and beech. Dioecious is your male and female flowers. You need a, a, male, a male tree nearby to fertilize a female tree. And then the ash kind of dances between the two. I find that fascinating. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the world tree in Nordic mythology. Um, so it's the tree around which all life takes place. Um, it, it produces a honeydew that, that they used to make mead from as well, which might link it, which might make which might have made it a, a more important tree in their culture. Um, I think that that's almost a forgotten thing. I was very surprised to read it. Um, I don't think it's kind of like collected anymore, really. Um, but you used to make mead from ash because it produces a honeydew. 
um, as far as I can make out. I, I don't know whether it's tapped or whether you take it from the leaves, um, whether you extract it from the flowers or what. Um, needs a bit more research. Um, but I find ash is my favourite tree for all of these reasons. It's yeah, it could be good for like the vegan live tunes, couldn't it? Yeah, couldn't it? Yeah, the, uh, yeah it needs further research. Yeah. Um, another, another reason it might have been considered the world tree is, is in ecological terms. It works well um, as a pioneer tree. It can move into newly cleared land. Um, but it can also support the, 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 the forest in its middle state as well. Um, it, does, it has got light foliage so it can allow other things to grow up underneath it. Um, if, a forest, it um, if the soil in a forest doesn't support the climax woodland like beech and oak, then ash will naturally form the climax woodland. So it could be said that it's like a pillar that goes right the way through the middle of the forest ecology. Um, although it doesn't live as long as the beech and the oak, there is this kind of like, it's useful as a very small plant in hedgerows. A lot of these hedgerows are ash. Um, in a middle growth forest, um, it flourishes um, and allows other plants to grow up underneath it as well, to a certain extent. And then in a climax woodland, it can also appear as a, as a mature tree like that. There's, there's a hole in this one and, and there's, I've seen a, a friend saw a an owl sitting in there once. <laughs> can you? Oh yeah. So it looks like that that he still lives. He she they still live in there. Um, and yeah, like I said, this tree here, or maybe the next one up. Um, yesterday, when I was walking, I saw a squirrel eating the ash flowers. So it looks like the squirrels like the sweetness, the pollen in the ash flowers. I imagine they're really nourishing. Um, I kind of want. Landmarks by Robert McFarlane, um, and it's about preserving our language of nature, our natural language, um, how we're in modern times losing a lot of our descriptive words to describe things in nature and it talks a lot about how there would have been words um, in specific regions for very specific elements in the landscape how our language was our map um, our map of the landscape um, and how finely detailed those explanations could be and how now in modern times our words are getting more and more replaced by modern words and by blanket terms um, and we're losing a lot of the kind of traditional land uh, you know traditional words that, to describe the land in, in in fine detail because we can now we now have maps that can you know we used to describe the land and the features in the land so in so much detail because that was the only thing we had to map it out yeah and, and that language would then be imprinted in your mind as, as the, the map would have existed in your mind, basically. Um, uh, but um, there are just some like gems in this book. He's got like glossaries of words from different regions, um, it, you know, get from Gaelic languages and from Celtic lang um, languages and very regional words um, for certain things. Um, and then there's little gems like this, this little paragraph that I'll read. 
um, which is how I've kind of felt a lot about this, this little area of Glastonbury. It says, to know fully even one field or one land is a lifetime's experience. In the world of poetic experience, it is depth that counts, not width. A gap in a hedge, a smooth rock surfacing a narrow lane, a view of a woody meadow, the stream at the junction of four small fields. These are as much as a man can fully experience. It's, take, it's saying to me, like, even if this was our patch, a, a, a metre by a metre here, or just this field, we could spend a lifetime exploring this field, and the more we look, the more we would find. There's endless exploration in the smallest area of land. We should never be bored. <laughs> That's what I take from it.